quite unusual. Hey everybody, I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And we are the Quite Unusual Podcast. And also, welcome to our show. Welcome to the show. Welcome. We have an exciting story for you guys today. And it's actually our very first cult episode. Which is amazing to me, but I mean, cults are a little intimidating. To do the, like to do a show Yeah, on a to cult. do a whole, yeah, your research, there's just so much going on. I love a good cult. <laughs> I do. I know that sounds insane. I am obsessed with cults. I'm very fascinated, and also I am 90% sure that I was born to be a cult leader. Oh, dude, you so were. You would make a fantastic cult leader. I think I could do it. You're very charismatic. Thank you. But like, very. who was who was the fucking time for that? That's true. Also, I don't feel like I need that level of control. Mm. You know, yeah. we we just talked to um, a psychic, and she we said did. that I'm very controlling, and I don't really get that. I don't get that either. I would say I'm more controlling than you are. I don't think I'm controlling. I think no. I'm just like whatever. So I would yeah. be a bad cult leader because I don't <laughs> I don't have like the disciplinarian in me to yeah to lead a cult. You would get overthrown. Oh as yeah, the leader. <laughs> yeah, by like my second in command or something, for sure, for sure. But I don't know. I'm pretty charismatic, so yeah. You have a way with words. Thank too. you. I'd follow you for sure. Oh my god, one hundred percent. I am gonna start a cult. The cult of Captain Crunch. Oh. <laughs> Nice. Crunchitize me. Cultitize me. Cultitize me, Captain. There you go. Putting that on a shirt that no one's going to buy. <laughs> Jinko Jankers. <style. laughs> so I guess we are coming at you today with the story of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. I'm so fucking pumped. That's right. Jonestown. The, we're not going to get into that in this episode because this will be... Two parts? Three parts? I don't even know. Honestly, this might be four parts. Maybe our first four-parter? We're going to take it nice and slow, babies. Yeah, and I think everyone knows Jonestown. I mean, uh everyone knows it. When you... I feel like when you think of a cult... You think Jonestown. It's Jonestown. Mm -hmm. The cult of all cults, if you will. Oh, I will. Before we get into the story, though, I do want to talk about something really cool that we did last weekend, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we did an interview with Indigo Cirrus, who is a psychic and a medium, and she's also a paranormal investigator. Dude, she was so cool. The coolest, and she's just an overall badass chick, and we had the pleasure of interviewing her, and she even gave us our very own readings, which was so amazing. It was amazing. They were very, very accurate, except I don't think I'm controlling. That was, like, the one thing that she didn't get, though. Everything else was on Uh, fucking point. point. Yes. It was unreal. And we actually have the interview portion up for you guys to watch on Patreon if you're interested. Mm -hmm. So definitely check that out. We didn't include our readings because... They were very personal, and I actually started ugly crying during it, and I don't think anyone wants to see that, so... Oh, it's usually me that ugly cries during episodes, but we never get it on film. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this one was on film. <laughs> yeah. So we cut that because it was very, very personal. It was strangely accurate. Yeah. So highly recommend highly if you guys recommend. are looking for a reading or I think she does a dream interpretation, Ooh. which I am definitely going to hit up. I have a lot of messed up dreams that definitely need interpreting. <laughs> so Same. So if you check out her social media, she is under indigo.cerise. Okay. It's S-E-E-R-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. So we actually just posted about her, too. Yeah. So you can check that out. Mm, um, check her out, dude. She's so cool. She, she does, does virtual reading. Yeah, I was just going to say that. So I think I'm actually going to schedule another one of those with her because she knows her shit. You know, sometimes you are afraid to, I guess, give a psychic money or something. So you're like, I don't know if they're legit. She's yeah. she is legit. Let, let me tell you. We told her virtually nothing. Yeah. And she was pulling shit out that from like my childhood yeah <laughs> yeah for real it's crazy it was crazy so highly recommend and also shout out to indigo cerise cirrus cirrus we love you sorry if we're saying that wrong yeah we say everything wrong though so <laughs> actually we just Story got lives. Yeah, we just got a dm from a utah ian oh I don't know if that's a, a Ute, yeah Utan Utan from a from a U Utan, um, and they said that we are very very good at pronouncing the weird Utah words. Oh, except he said we said Utah wrong. How did we say it? I don't know. Oh, like you said it very wrong, Utah. and I was laughing out loud. <laughs> well, I mean, here we are from Des Plaines, and uh-huh. everyone who does John Wayne Gacy mispronounces Des Plaines. They call it Des Plaines. They call it Des Plaines. So you know what? We can laugh at people for that. So yeah, it's just right. it is what it is. We just have a different accent than other people. Well, I'm. It's like when you're from Birmingham. <laughs> And you're all brummy about it. And then you're from Cornwall and you're all corny about it. It's just like different dialects, different accents. You know what I mean? And when you're from Chicago. Then you say everything. You say Chicago. Very aggressively. <laughs> Anyways, let's get in to some Jim Jones background, shall we? I think we shall because we have a lot to go through. We do. Today, we're... Okay, again, we're going to take this very, very slow. We started, we do a little outline with our little notes in here that we sort of check back in on when we're doing our recording. And we had to edit this outline how many times? Four times? Yeah. I think you edited it and then I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And then we called each other and then, yeah, it was a whole, whole thing. It was a whole thing. So we're only going over two main points right now. Yeah, but there's a lot of info in these two main points. It's going to be long. We want to go in depth. You know we love a good, dirty, deep dive. We do. Well, we're going to do it. And you're welcome. And here goes nothing. Thank us later. (laughs) Today we will be talking about one of the most infamous cults of all time. Jim Jones and his not-so-utopian society called Jonestown. Also, who the fuck names a town after themselves? Jim Jones does because you will find out why. In this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. And there's so much information that we want to make sure that we just do all of it justice and we paint a picture of everything leading up to the flavor aid consumption and Mm. mass murder. Yes. Emphasis on flavor aid, not Kool-Aid. No. Just want to make that clear from the get-go. 
it was not Kool-Aid. So drinking the Kool-Aid doesn't make sense. No, if you want to be beloved at parties, <laughs> just make sure to bring up how it's not drinking the Kool-Aid. It's drinking the Flavor-Aid. It's drinking the Flavor-Aid. Mm. And anyone that says drinking the Kool-Aid is a fucking moron. Is a liar. You're a goddamn liar. <laughs> no, I don't know. Do what you want. I don't fucking care. All right. So let's get into this. Ready? Okay. It's the fact for me that everyone knows how this story ends, but no one really knows much about the beginning that just totally fascinates me about this whole situation. The story of Jim Jones' early life shaped who he became and how that affected the lives of so many people. Mm-hmm. If you don't already know, Jonestown was a community of cult members that were strong-armed into killing themselves at the hands of Jim Jones. Some people say it was a mass suicide. Mm. I personally feel it's a mass murder. Yeah, I... Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. Their charismatic-turned-psychopathic leader and, I guess, God, if you will? To some, yeah. Yeah, that was Jim Jones to these people. This was achieved with the help of the Flavor-Aid Man, (laughs) who is much like the Kool-Aid Man, but instead of busting through walls to get children jacked up on blue raspberry-flavored sugar water, Mm. he, like, crashes an airplane. What do you think the the Flavor-Aid Man does? He definitely crashes an airplane, like, into the (laughs) middle of, like, your summer camp. Oh, no. Like, you're all braiding each other's hair, and you just hear this Mm. jacked-up plane come, and it crashes right into your campfire. And then he makes you drink some weird cyanide-laced purple liquid. But instead of being, like, a beautiful, clear, like, pitcher, Mm -hmm. he's a crumpled Dixie cup. So you have to drink this disgusting liquid (laughs) out of his crumpled Dixie cup of a body. And instead of being like, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, no. He's always crying. Yeah. He doesn't want any part of this. Yeah. He's just like forced into it by some dark lord. <laughs> right. And that's a little kid's voice. I won't do that one. Oh, no. It's me. The flavored man. I'm so sorry, children. Would that it were so simple. He's a tortured soul. Would that it were. And then you have to drink out of his. It's definitely Crumpled like a Dixie cup. Yeah. It's like a piece of trash like litter <laughs> that someone found and filled with flavoring so sad it's really i feel really sad for him right now <laughs> the event at jonestown was responsible for the deaths of over 900 people including just under 300 children whoa i did not know that that number was so high for the children at the time this was the largest loss of american lives in a deliberate event up until 9-11 now we have a 9-11 worth of people dying every day in coronavirus related Mm. deaths Mm. so it was really shocking at the time yeah it would be now too i guess well circumstances are shocking yeah yeah but unfortunately we all seem a little bit numb to mass death at this point yeah some of us are just numb and i guess some of us are just too stupid to care also so yeah unfortunately combination of both i guess you could say but jim jones didn't start out the way he ended Jim Jones was just, at one point, a weird boy from the Midwest. He could have been any number of kids that we grew up right alongside. Let's learn more about where this prolific cult leader comes from so we can realize where he got to where he did. James Warren Jones, which, fun fact, do you know what a Warren is? No. It's the name of a bunny nest. 
why are, why is this this random piece of information just because coming his, out of you right now? His middle name is Warren, and I just think it's really cute. Okay. It's also a name, though. Yeah, but that's what it's called. It's called <laughs> okay. a Warren. All right. So James Bunnynest Jones. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Adorable. James Bunnynest Jones was born on May 13th, 1931, which means he's a Taurus. So think what you will about that. I don't know any Tauruses, I don't think. No, me either. I just know it's a year of the ox now, and that's a bull, and a Taurus is a bull, and that's all I got. Mm. Headstrong? I, maybe. Cult leader? Yeah. Aviator wearer? <laughs> all of the above. Flavor aid sipper? Yes. Coffin sleeper in her? Well, spoiler. We'll get to that. He was born in a rural area of Indiana called Crete an unincorporated community near the Ohio border. Approximately 17 miles from the border, because this is a geography podcast. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. Just kidding. I don't know how far it is, because this is not a geography podcast. Woo! I was going to look up how many miles Crete was <laughs> to Chicago, but then I stopped myself. Yeah. Because yeah. we are not a goddamn geography podcast. We're not. And don't you forget it. <laughs> We're never letting that go. No, we won't. He was born to parents James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putnam Jones. He was of Irish and Welsh descent from Baptist and Quaker lineage. He would later claim partial Cherokee ancestry through his mother, but this was a lie. <laughs> um, dear listeners, as you will learn, as we have learned, Jim Jones is a pathological liar. If it could be lied about, he would lie about it. For no fucking reason. <laughs> Just because he could. Why not? His father, Big Jim, as he would become known as, was a World War I veteran who suffered lung damage from a mustard gas attack, and then he lived on disability payments for pretty much the rest of his life. The gas would scar his lungs and also leave him physically weakened, but he would also be mentally scarred, never really amounting to much of a person after the war. Mm. Very, very sad. He would spend his days playing cards at a local establishment. I cannot think of what you would call, like, a card hall? What would you call that? Um, maybe it was, like, I don't Do they play? I know they have, like, bingo halls. Maybe they have bingo slash card halls? Just a card. Why does a card hall sound dirty in a weird <laughs> I way? I don't know. He played at the local card hall. <laughs> he would drink soda and coffee from basically sunrise to sunset. At the time, the county that they lived in was dry. No alcohol was available for purchase anywhere in this county. Even after Prohibition ended in 1933, you could not buy any alcohol in the county for like years and years and years. Wow. There's a lot of weird dry counties in America. Yeah, it's probably has to do with just like the local government and then their decision. Yeah. Big Jim was part of a rich and prominent family, which is the reason that Lunette, well, Lunetta, we'll get into that, Putnam was so into him and agreed to marry him, despite being 15 years her senior, and honestly just a very boring man. Okay, so he's rich, uh -huh. but all he does is play cards and drink soda and coffee all day long. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds pretty, uh, like a pretty fair trade for Lynette. Yeah. Like, I'd take it. You know what? Sometimes you marry for money. And I'm, I support you. Gotta do what you gotta do. Also, it's not like he was an alcoholic and was like drinking the family fortune away. Right. 
He would sit at a bar that didn't serve alcohol and drink, like, Sprite and play poker. His soda tab, though, was... Don't get me started. Pretty high. He paid for Dr. Pepper to go through med school with that tab. (laughs) Amazing. His mother was born Lunette Putnam. She was considered to be a tough woman at the time because she had been known to swear. Nice. Known to spit in public. Yes. And she wore pants when it was considered... yeah. It was considered improper for women to wear pants at the time. She sounds like my kind of woman. She sounds like a fucking badass, and I kind of love her. Sort of love her, too. She wanted to stand out at a time when people conformed to societal norms. Even as a child, she recounts that her parents asked her to behave like a, quote, China doll. But she preferred to spend time in the woods getting muddy and, quote, investigating animals. Whatever that means. I would want to do the same thing. I don't know what acting like a China doll is, but sign me up for the animal investigation. Hell yeah. Yeah. All for animal investigation. She also believed in spirits, reincarnation, and fortune telling. Mm. She tried her hand at fortune telling, which I'm a big fan of. Cool. She claimed that she had been a famous writer in a past life, and she continued to dabble in writing in this life. I found one of her poems. Oh, It's very confusing. How so? She uses a lot of like hyphenated or like apostrophe conjunctions. Okay. That just don't, I don't know how to read it. It sounds like a sailor wrote it. (laughs) Maybe that's how she, well, I mean, she spit like a sailor. So maybe that's just how she talked. Maybe. Hmm. I considered reading it on here, but it didn't make any sense to me. So I'm (laughs) skipping it. She had been married three times before she married Big Jim Jones. Big Jimmy Jones. At the age of 25, her first marriage was because her family fell on hard times and she needed financial support. So around the age of 16, she got married and that lasted about two years. She then dropped out of college after getting divorced and married a man about a year later. But this marriage lasted only three days. Oh. And then she got a divorce. (laughs) She tried again to enroll in college, but she had to work to support herself and she was unable to keep up with the payments. So she dropped out again. Then she got married again. And very little is known about her third marriage. I couldn't even find her third husband's name. Oh. So I guess who cares about that guy, right? Probably didn't last too long. Nah, fuck him. But then the fourth marriage was to James Jones. And this one was based, again, on financial security more so than love. Lunette was an interesting woman. She loved to change her name without telling anyone in that and then act very, very offended when you called her by her old name. <laughs> what? So she was born Lunette. Uh-huh. And then she changed it to Lynette. Okay. And then she changed it to Lynetta. Okay. <laughs> and each time, she would just flat out refuse to respond to the previous name without telling anyone she changed her name. So she would just decide that she wanted to be called something slightly different from her previous name and then not tell anyone, but then also get mad when nobody knew? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Sounds checks out, I guess. Yeah. Again, very interesting. (laughs) I'm going to transition to calling her Lynetta from here on out because that's what she used as a name until her death. Okay. Well, I mean, it's basically the same name so yeah just go with it well don't tell her that because she wouldn't respond when she was pregnant with little jim she had a vision of the egyptian river of death and then a vision of her dying on a cross crucified jesus on the cross style before a vision of her own mother 
stopped her from dying on this cross. Her mother told her that she had not yet fulfilled her destiny. Her destiny was to give birth to a great man who would forever change the history of the world. So I have to say, that vision was not entirely wrong. Yeah. Great man? Nah. But world changing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Absolutely. Think that, yeah, we can go with that. Yeah. Also, this would make me feel like she was setting him up to be a serial killer by saying that he's destined for amazing things. Mm. A lot of serial killers' moms are weird that way. Yeah. A lot of, well, yeah. A lot of them have mommy issues for sure. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. But she also didn't pay enough attention to him to nourish any serial killer tendencies. Mm, So I feel like she's off the hook for that one. Well, also maybe not paying attention to him was the part that nourished those tendencies. Could have been. You never know. But that's the thing about Jim Jones. To me, I feel like he weirdly rides this line between good and bad for most of his life. Yep. Like he's honestly really just a regular person for Mm -hmm. a very long time. And then things spiral, and, I mean, we all know how it ends. Yeah. But we will save the end of the story for the end of the series and get back to this early life. Jim Jones, by the way, this is so cute. He was called Jimba. J-I-M-B-A. Jimba. It's so cute. It is really cute. Jimba. Like Simba, but with a J. But she didn't care about him, so. Oh, she called him that? His mom? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She called him Jimba. Maybe she forgot his name was Jim. <laughs> or she just changed it and didn't tell him. Yeah. And then when he stopped responding to Jim, <laughs> she was like, yeah, that's how that works. I feel, I just feel like Jimba is such a cute nickname. It is really cute. I'm going to call him Jimba a lot. Okay. Okay. All right. Jimba Jones was pretty much neglected by his parents. His father was emotionally absent and all but silent throughout his life. His mom was always working and never, ever paid attention to her child. Once she described him as like an Eskimo, but ugly. No. Yeah, pretty much that was the first thing she said about him when he was born. That's terrible for a mother to say, but also kind of hilarious. Yeah, maybe he was. Yeah. Some babies are not cute. That's very true. And I guess maybe just be honest with yourself. (laughs) He would later say, quote, I didn't have any love given to me. I didn't know what the hell love was in regards to his childhood relationship with his parents. Lynetta and Big Jim were given a house by his well-to-do parents, and they were financially supported on the condition that Lynetta hold a job to provide the main support for the family. Okay. So she worked on the line at the Winchester Glass Factory for an estimated $1 a day, which I looked up, and it's only $20 a day today. Whoa. So they were rich, but they made her work. Yeah. So she worked and the father just drank things and played cards and he was just ugly Eskimo Jim and left to his own devices? Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of sad. It's very sad. And Lynetta sort of hated Big Jim for this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to stay home and be a stay-at-home mother with her ugly Eskimo baby. (laughs) I don't blame her. Lynetta was also a pathological liar. I'm just going to put this out there, that she's likely the one that passed that down to her son, Mm. Jimba. She had a tendency to twist the truth. Later in life, she would claim that she had not been an assembly line worker, but instead a union labor worker who rallied her fellow workers and demanded higher wages. 
So she's just lying to make her seem cooler. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And this is a theme that we will see throughout Jim's life. They all just twist the truth to fit a narrative that they prefer. Mm. Because Lynetta was always at work and she didn't allow little Jim in the house when she wasn't home. What? I know. That's insane. Just like four years old. Like, I don't know. <laughs> do what you want to do, I guess. Dear God. Wow. Yeah. He had a lot of free time to roam around as a wild child. <laughs> he did what any child would do. He made friends with a very nice old lady that took care of him like a grandmother would. Aww. Her name was Myrtle Kennedy, which is the perfect old lady name. Yeah, I'm picturing her in my head. I got it. <laughs> Clear as day. And she was a Nazarene evangelical who never, ever missed church. And she was more than happy to bring little Jimba along every week. The Joneses didn't go to church, which was a huge deal in this old-timey Midwestern community. Mm. You didn't not go to church. Right, and it was a dry county, too, which kind of seems like it was probably really Jesus-y. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. But they didn't go. Jim's father could not care less. He was very busy with his soda. Naturally. And Jim's mother was an adamant atheist, which makes me love her more. (laughs) To be an atheist at the time in small-town America was very strange, especially to be so very vocal about it like she was. Lynetta would go around saying that she didn't believe in a, quote, sky god. Nice. And she would laugh out loud in the faces of neighbors who told her that she was going to hell straighter than a bird can fly if she didn't change her ways and fear God like the rest of them. That's hilarious. I love it, actually. Yeah, me too. So every Sunday, little Jimba, (laughs) I love calling him that, (laughs) would go to church with his old lady friend, absorbing everything that he had heard. Within weeks of attending, he could quote scripture and he had memorized the mannerisms of the preacher. He treated church like school, taking notes every chance he got on how the church leaders acted and the way that the goers responded. He loved the theater of the church. Sounds like a very dramatic little child. Right. (laughs) Also, I went to church as a child and I thought it was the most boring thing I've ever been forced to sit through. So... Well, it sounds like your fault that you didn't love the costumes. I, you didn't yeah. love the set design. Sorry. The acting. You didn't love any of the scripts. Maybe he thought it was called script and not scripture. Mm, right, right. He was very into this whole theater, church is a theater thing. <laughs> Little Jim found church to be very easy to understand. There was one clear leader and lots of followers. The preacher spoke and everyone listened, unquestioning. In Jim's life outside of the church, he was the weird kid. But in church, he was just another person. Everything he did outside of church seemed very calculated, as if he was forever weighing his chances of how his actions could lead to an outcome of approval by his peers. I have a personal story about something like that. Okay. Okay, tell us. So I was the weird kid in school, too. Yes. Because I'm a fucking weird kid. I've heard I've heard stories. Yeah, she, she was the weird kid. <laughs> okay, what? What kind of stories are you hearing? You've told me stories. Oh, okay, then that's fine. And one time I thought it would impress everyone if I could drink my juice box really fast in second grade. <laughs> so we're having a snack break. And everyone, like, took out their little snacks. Mm-hmm. And I had, like, my little juice box happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, ready, guys? And then I drank it super fast. And then I was like, ah, Done. 
and no one was impressed. Oh. And that's when I learned no one cares about how fast you drink beverages until I learned about beer chugging. And then I was like, wait, is this my fucking sport? You were ahead of your time. That's why. I guess I was. So ahead of your time. Fuck you, everyone in second grade that thought my juice box drinking wasn't cool. Fuck you, Zach. I could. That's fucking right. <laughs> I could chug you under the table, bitch. That sounds dirty. I don't want to chug anyone under the table. Well, you have to do it now because you said it. That's true. Like so many juice boxes. <laughs> okay, so that's personal sad corner with Noel. <laughs> it also didn't help that Jim Jones was very obsessed with death. One time, he led a group of kids from his class to a local coffin factory late at night because <laughs> he got to. Got to. He instructed them to lay in the coffins and pretend like they were dead. He did this multiple times. Um, we're talking a minimum of four. <laughs> but less and less children showed up each time, so he just stopped doing it altogether. Uh, yeah, like, hey, guys, let's play a game. Let's all sneak into a coffin factory, which I Yay! guess I guess that's a thing. Coffin factories are a thing. Uh, and let's lay in them and pretend we're dead. Uh, oh, okay, Jim. I mean, we got to do that. I guess what are we doing? Who does that? I mean, I'm honestly surprised anyone even came back after the first time. You know so. what? I would have come back. Yeah. But I also... I was a very weird kid. You drank your juice boxes. You would have been like, hey, guys, before we go in, see how fast I can drink this juice box. Hey, time me. Time me. Zach, time me. Zach, time me. Zach. Zach. Zach, you paint a... D- uh, you know... I'm done anyways. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I also definitely swore when I was like five years old. What's so. weirder, though, telling kids to lay in coffins and pretend that they're dead or drinking a juice box? as fast as you can i don't know because apparently drinking a juice box as fast as you can was the weirdest shit anyone can do (laughs) in an elementary school in my hometown so (laughs) i guess i'm fucking sorry for that one okay (laughs) wait what do you think is weirder i would say the coffin thing i'm just still picturing like little (laughs) you With my bangs and my glasses. Yes, because I've seen pictures of you with your bangs and your glasses, and I know what you looked like. I'm just picturing you being uh-huh. like, ah, try to beat that, Zach. Yeah, and then I'd like chest bump him or something. No, I never <laughs> throw the juice box in his face. <laughs> I fucking wish I did. <laughs> oh, boy. This whole coffin thing, though, is reminding me of something that he'll do later on, where mm. Jim gives his cult followers beverages and then they drink them, and then right. he tells them that they're laced with poison to see the way that they would react. So, obviously, this is a precursor to the Flavor Aid fiasco. Not but Kool-Aid. he probably practiced with Kool Aid, if we're being honest. Nah, he's a Flavor Aid guy for sure. Yeah, it's true. That's true. <laughs> but this coffin thing was when he was little. So, to me, that's sort of like him testing the waters to see what kind of reaction he'll get. Yeah. Just like this whole beverage thing later in life. Yeah, for sure. Jim, being obsessed with death, as one is, would go around looking for roadkill and other various dead animals, and he would hold long, elaborate funerals for them, often at recess in his school. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm very on board with the funerals for roadkill. It's kind of cute. It's, it's not weird. It's, I don't think it's super weird, though. Hmm. He has compassion. 
This is the part where I feel bad for him. Uh, don't feel bad for him. I was a weird kid, too. <laughs> but I would never bring a dead animal to school. Oh, he brought them to school? Uh-huh, and then he would bury them. Okay, that's weird. If, uh, if they found, like, a dead bird, no. then that would have been different. No, he would bring them to school and then have funeral services at school. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. He would give this long speech, and then he would bury the animal like he was giving it a real funeral, and he would make other kids watch him. Okay, it's a little morbid. Jim Jones did love animals. He had been known to have a pack of roaming dogs. <laughs> I know. I w- it was so hard for me to write this. Have a pack of roaming dogs that would follow him around wherever he went because he fed them. These dogs were his friends and he loved them. You know what that reminds me of? <laughs> um, it reminds me of an episode from Malcolm in the Middle yes! when Reese like becomes friends with a, wild- a pack of wild dogs uh-huh. and he runs with them at night and then he starts acting like a dog. <laughs> It's the best episode. It's, like, one of the best episodes. It's absolutely one of the best. Like, the mailman comes to the door and he's like, why are you here? Why are you at my house? Why? 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 (laughs) (laughs) So good. Okay. First off, Malcolm in the Middle is a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. I could rewatch every single episode over and over and over again. It's so good. So good. But the best episode is where Dewey is tango dancing with the old lady (laughs) to Fernando, and then she dies, and then he's just, like, home alone. (laughs) That's my favorite episode. Oh, man. I could go through a list, but for the sake of this podcast, I will just leave it at that. We're going to start another podcast. We're going to review every single episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. We're going to call it, um, what should we call it? Quite unusual in the middle. No. It's terrible. There is one case that I did find about animal mutilation, and I googled so many combinations of the words Jim Jones, animal mutilation, animal death, to try to, like, find out if he was one of those serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's not really a serial killer, but, you know, whatever. He's not not a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. I did find one from his childhood, which, as... I'm sure most of you know, is a telltale sign of a serial killer or a murderer. Right. He once sewed the leg of an already dead chicken onto the leg of a very live duck just to see what would happen. And then he got bored when absolutely nothing happened and he moved on. Oh. And there are no other recorded cases of animal abuse that I can find, which is good. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty messed up, but yeah, that's, I guess, good. But then again, if you're mutilating animals, you're not going to tell everyone about it, so he probably did more things that just aren't documented. Maybe, yeah. Mm. He does a pretty fucked up thing with a puppy that I'll tell you about later. (gasps) No, I don't want to hear it. Uh, You're gonna. He was compassionate and he was loving towards animals for the most part. When he was young, he had a few carrier pigeons as pets. But they just kept dying because he couldn't really take care of them properly because he was a very young child and no one helped him. Um, Why didn't he just let them go? I don't know, man. (laughs) Why did he make kids lay in coffins? You could ask questions all day long. He does the things that he does because he does them. That's wiser words have never been spoken. (laughs) Every time one of his beloved pigeons passed away, he would hold a funeral for them. With all the showmanship that he could muster, again, giving long speeches forcing people to watch him, and just being really weird about it. Super extra. Jim loved showmanship, if you couldn't tell. Pageantry, all the better. So, of course, when he saw rallies held by 
Adolf Hitler on mm. the television. He instantly became obsessed with these. He idolized Hitler. Oh, God. Not for his ideals, but for his ability to hold the attention of his followers. The respect that he got in the incredible spectacle of his rallies. He loved the costumes. He loved the marching. Mm. He loved all of it. Real pageant guy, this one. Yes. Loves a good pageantry moment. When I was reading about this, I thought about Sam Rockwell's character from Jojo Rabbit. Oh. And the incredible costume that he made yeah. with the makeup and the musical weapon for like when the, <laughs> when the Allies came to Germany. He only cared about pageantry and he wasn't a Nazi. That's how I feel about Sam Rockwell's character. Uh, Sam Rockwell's his character in Jojo Rabbit is sneaking into this episode once again. Oh, the show. Did we talk about it? I think we talked about him on last week's episode. Did we? I think we did. I just watched Jojo Rabbit, so. That's probably why. It's pretty fresh in my brain. He loved it so much so that while other kids were playing World War II games and they were winning as the heroes, the Americans, Mm -hmm. Jim Jones would pretend to recruit a little group of Nazis and he would play as Hitler. He wouldn't make the other children do that stupid high leg walk thing. Mm -hmm. What's that called? As a name. Uh, I have no idea. The Nazi walk? Yeah. <laughs> Just call it that. Yeah. And he would make them Nazi salute in unison, and he would whack their legs with a long switch if they didn't get it right. Can you imagine seeing that shit on a playground? <laughs> the teachers were probably like, what the fuck? He made his tiny mustache as small as society would allow. He, like, rubbed dirt on his face. <laughs> and then he buried some people with pageantry. <laughs> Wow. I like it. It's nice. It's uh, not nice. I'm shaking my head now. If he was maybe mimicking somebody else, it would have yeah. been nice. No, it's not nice. One childhood friend remembered when German POWs arrived at their town, which I don't quite understand why that would be a thing. I don't get that either. But one of these POWs patted young Jimba Jones on the back of the head. And how did baby Jimba respond? He responded by giving the standard Nazi salute and shouting, Heil Hitler. Dear God. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> what? Which is so crazy because we'll talk about his ideologies later. Yeah. But he fucking loved Hitler, man. Yeah. Well, and also he's a kid, so he doesn't probably know what is even happening or what Hitler's doing. So yeah. he just sees this like super cool guy doing this march on TV with a cool costume. And he's yeah. like, I want to be him. <laughs> Which is kind of fucked up, but... He would give long, elaborate speeches and play for hours until the other kids started to defect from his little Nazi regime (laughs) and go home. If the other children wanted to leave before Jim was done, he would bully the shit out of them and hit them to make them stay. Wow, just like Hitler. (laughs) Why do you think he's called Hitler? Not Neisler. (laughs) Kids his age did not put up with this for very long. But he realized that the younger kids were just as grateful to get attention and they would pretty much do anything if an older boy was paying attention to them. This was an important learning moment for Jim, who figured out that you can gain friendship and followers by paying attention to people that no one pays attention to. Mm. This would be a very valuable lesson that he would exploit throughout the rest of his life. Oh, and by the way, if I forgot to mention... He was 14 years old when he was doing this. Whoa. Okay. He wasn't like nine. Yeah. Oh, and another fun fact about Jim Jones is that he had a monster hog. Oh, 
Are you like a little thumper. What? Okay. But a big one. All right. And he would show it to everyone. Okay. As like a teenager. That's assault, brother. And he would make other kids join in, like, literal pissing contests with him. Okay. And he would out-pee all of the other boys. <laughs> what? Yeah. In this book that I'm reading, um, they say that he was able to, like, I don't know, contort his dick. No. Sort of. No. In a way that made him, quote, able to piss clear over the roof of a house. That is not true. How could you, how does someone piss over the roof of a house? I don't know. They contort their dick some way. You cannot do that. I don't know. Every dude listening to this episode is going to try to do that tomorrow. <laughs> okay, listeners. Penis having listeners. If you try to piss over the roof of your house. And it works? Just tell us. Just DM us the word. Yeah, it worked. That's all I want to know. Those three words. They're, they're going to lie about it. They're, who would lie about that? So many people. That's true. Fuck you. All right. <laughs> If you lie about that, I don't even care about you anymore. But if you can drink a juice box really quick, I do care about you. Mm. So also let us know if you're super good <laughs> at drinking juice boxes. What are they supposed to say? <laughs> yeah, it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. If you can drink a juice box really fast. Mm-hmm. Let us know. And also pee over a roof. Yeah. You well, know we just won't know which one you're talking about. Yeah. We'll just use our imaginations. <laughs> when Jim was a little older, he loved a good BB gun. But he also loved real guns. Mm. And once, when he was hanging out with pretty much his only friend named Don Foreman, Don decided that it was time to go home. So when he went to leave, Jim wasn't exactly ready for his play date to end. Mm. He's a teenager. I'm calling it a play date, but it's just fun. So he did the reasonable thing and he pointed the gun at Don's face, telling him that if he abandoned him, he wouldn't live to see another day. And then he shot this gun. It was a very real 22 caliber handgun, and he shot it at a tree just to the side of Don's head. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jim was very, very offended if anyone ever tried to leave his presence, and it wasn't his idea. He would do this throughout his life as well, which we will see later when we're talking about the cult. So just remember, he takes it very, very personal mm. if you want to go home early. So at this point, Jim is a teen. So at this point, Jim is a teenager. He goes from Jimba to teenba. Jim teenba. How me combine the word Jim and teen? Teenage Jimba. I'm done with that. He's <laughs> like, that's a hard one. It's very hard, and I'm trying to make a joke, but it's not very funny. Sometimes jokes don't land. Can't all have hits. <sighs> Gotta be some misses. Yeah, I'll try harder next time. <laughs> So at this point, Jim is a teen. He's going to church with his old lady friend, and he's shooting BBs and bullets at his other friends. But then he starts to branch out and check out other churches. He would church hop on Sundays or whenever these churches held services, staying only during the rituals and sermons and ducking out when things got boring and, like, too godly for him. You just used the word church hop. Yeah. (laughs) And I love it. Church hopping. Instead of bar hopping, you church hopping. You want like a church crawl? <laughs> well, they were in a dry county, so what else are you going to well, do? It's, that's true. He hit up the Nazarene church. Okay, now I'm just picturing him like drinking communion or like... He gets high off of Jesus. Yeah, he's like taking little sips of the holy water at each one. <laughs> <laughs> he has like a little shot glass with like a cross on it. Oh, man. So he hits up this Nazarene church with Myrtle, his old lady friend. 
He goes to the Quaker church, the Methodist church, the, this word is so hard for me to say, apostolic church, uh, right? I think so, yeah. Apostolic. apostolic. And also he goes to one called just Church of Christ. Pretty straightforward. Yep. A lot of churches in this very small town. He would go and he would watch. He would observe the way that the preachers commanded attention. And he would actually take written notes about just what they were doing and the immense power that these holy men had over their congregations. That's really weird. He was into it, dude. He wanted to know. He wasn't there for anything but to learn how to command a crowd. Wow. His favorite was the apostolics, which we just looked it up. And it's not apostolic. It's apostolic. Yeah. So I'm so sorry to burden everyone's ear holes with that. (laughs) He loved them because they were very dramatic and very theatrical in their services. Which, remember, he really loved Adolf Hitler because of the pageantry. Pageantry. So it was only natural that he would love a church with dramatic robes, booming sermons, and important rituals like the glitter toss that they did at the end of each sermon. Did they actually do that? I don't know, but I'd like to think so. (laughs) Okay. If you're describing church as having pageantry, I imagine glitter is involved. Jim, (laughs) he had pocket glitter. Like, you carry Mm. pocket sand, he had pocket glitter. The priests do. I mean, they have to. Is it a thing? Yeah. I wish it was. It's going to be at my cult. (laughs) Pocket glitter. The cult of Captain. Captain Cult. Jim, just like his mama, did not believe in a sky god. He was an atheist, but also he did like the teachings of Jesus because he liked how socialist Jesus was. He liked this whole communism vibe Jesus was given off, giving everything to the community and the community giving everything back. Jim Jones was born for this dude. Charismatic megafauna, very manipulative, and just a true leader. Even though he was a weirdo, he was also a fantastic organizer. So he's just ticking all these cult boxes. Yeah. And he's studying how to lead people through Jesus, Mm -hmm. which we all know people will follow blindly. So... He started a very successful countywide basketball league. He did not play basketball in the league, but he organized the meets and he coached a team. This went really, really well for a really long time until one day when they were having a meeting and Jim Jones brought his puppy. No, is it bad? It's not great. While everyone, no, while everyone was talking about the league, Jim opened a trap door that happened to be in the floor of the gym and he pushed the puppy down it just to see what would happen. Pretty much the whole meeting just stopped dead in its tracks. Everyone was absolutely stunned silent. Obviously, the puppy died. And then, surprise, no one wanted to hang around puppy murdering Jim Jones anymore. So the league disbanded. What? So it was a basketball team? Uh Uh-huh. And he just brings a puppy one day and just shoves it down? Uh Uh-huh. Just drops it in this trap door. Just to see how people would react? Yeah. Oh, and okay. they don't like it. So, yeah. Yeah. Can't. If you like that, then I don't know what type of person you are. Then have I got a friend for you. <laughs> His name is Jim. You're going to love him. Mm. Don't leave early. Don't leave early. Jim and his mother moved to Richmond, Indiana in 1948. They just completely abandoned his father and pretended like he never existed. Whoa. Yeah. Pretty, pretty wild shit. And also Lynette would just go out and, like, troll for men and, like, had, like, a bunch of lovers for the rest of her life, pretty much, and just told everyone she was single. 
Well. You know, whatever, man. Live your life, dude. Live your life. Jim did not like his father, so he didn't give a shit. It was rumored that his father was a Klansman and once refused to let one of Jim's black friends into their house. Oh, shit. But I only found this in one place, so this can't be confirmed. Mm. But the Klan was very, very popular around this time in Indiana. Were they? Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, wow. It, like, this was like... Oh, yeah, Indiana's kind of... Yeah, it's like one of the stupidest states in this dumbass country. <laughs> it's the Midwest, but it's like the south of the Midwest. It's like the worst of the Midwest. Yeah. Sorry if you're from there. But also Mike Pence's, so... Eesh. Yeah. The Klan at the time was considered just a social club, with most white men being members. It's estimated that around this time, about 30% of white men in Indiana which equals about 250,000, mm-hmm. were members of the Klan. Oh, shit. Yeah. And say what you will about Jim Jones, but he wasn't racist. He was not. No. He was very accepting of people, all people, and believed that everyone should be considered equal. He even took to going to predominantly black neighborhoods and preaching on street corners about how everyone is equal under the eyes of Jesus and that we're all brothers and sisters of the human race. So this is what I was talking about earlier when I said he kind of rides this line between good and evil. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's not he's not all bad, but he's not good either. Yeah. Jim was very, very progressive, especially for the time and especially for rural Indiana. This was even about 10 years before the civil rights movement gained popularity and he was still out there fighting for people of color. Yeah. But remember, Jim Jones gravitated towards the people that no one was paying attention to or cared about. Mm. He paid attention to them. So they gave him attention right back, which is exactly what he craved. Okay, anyways, let's just get back to Big Jim for like one second. This is a little out of the timeline of what we're doing. We're trying to go chronological here. But I just want to wrap this up because Big Jim's life is kind of like over in a minute. Okay. So he died in 1951. And no one gave a shit. Jim and his mother did not attend the funeral. His mother refused to be buried next to Big Jim, even though his tombstone had a shared plot with her name and date of birth etched into it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then after she died, she'll die later in Jonestown, Mm -hmm. unrelated to the flavor situation. But... Then someone came and etched her date of death into this tombstone, but she wasn't buried there. That's weird. Yeah. It would be weird to see, like, 1902 to blank on a tombstone. So maybe that's a normal thing. True. But, I mean, who's, I guess, who's upkeeping that, though? I don't know. Who cares enough to do that? <laughs> I don't strange. know. Big Jim even wrote his own epitaph for the local newspaper before oh his death because no one else was going to do it. Wow. It said, quote, everyone in the world is my friend. And that breaks my fucking heart. It's a big yikes. Unless he was a Klansman, in which case, die Nazi die. Yeah. But otherwise, oh. Yeah, we don't really know much about him. So it's either oh or (laughs) die Nazi die. (laughs) Either or. Either way. Yeah. Pick one. Either way is fine. So that kind of wraps up Big Jim's life. I just wanted to put a pin in that one you know what i mean just like put a pin in it yeah nail that coffin shut right you know (laughs) and back to baby jimba a woman named phyllis wilmore who had been jim's high school girlfriend said that he often led the pep rallies for basketball games Mm. she she's quoted as saying 
Jimmy decided to stage an elaborate funeral for the other school. Oh my, what is his thing with funerals? He loves a fucking funeral, man. He loves funeral. He got up and he started preaching and he did an incredible job. He had the control and the inflection. It was like the real thing. But it was all intended to be a joke. He was very self-assured on the stage, and he had coal black hair and piercing eyes that would look right through you. Well, yeah, because, you I mean, he had a lot of practice up until that point hosting funerals. I was trying to put myself in Phyllis's place here, and yeah. I think that it would be fucking funny as shit. It if... would be, yeah. I think our high school did, like, the same thing, actually. Did they? I think they hosted, yeah, like, RIP to whatever team we were playing at on Homecoming or something. I think mm. that they did that. Well, whoever gave a speech at that one, we should just check on what they're doing right now. <laughs> they're they're probably leading a cult. And yeah, what country are they in? And what is their mm. beverage of choice? If it's Kool-Aid, we're good. It's fine. Just let them let be. <laughs> if it's Flavor-Aid, we have a problem. Yikes. Jim was also a very, very sharp dresser. He would wear slacks with a crisp button-down shirt and dress shoes to school every single day. He also always styled his hair, and I read that he had this magnetism to him. Like, people want to paint him in this light of being a super fucking weirdo, which, don't get me wrong, he was very fucking weird, yeah. and he was also a little bit of a creep, but I feel like he was probably also seen as brooding and mysterious. With those aviators? Well, he didn't have them yet, probably. Oh, okay, so he gets those later on. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's drug-fueled, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, he has a lot of confidence, and confidence makes people attractive. That's true. If you are confident, you are 100% like, you can go from like a five to a seven. Yes, dude. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, it raises you like three hot points. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. For sure. So that's our little dating advice in the middle of a murder call episode. <laughs> Be confident, and you're automatically... <laughs> Hotter. Confidence is key in cult leading and getting dates. <laughs> Jim graduated high school with honors and with an interest in medicine, but he did not go to medical school. Instead, he worked at a he worked as a hospital orderly at Reed Memorial Hospital in Richmond, Indiana. It was there that he met his wife, Marceline Baldwin, who was a nursing student. Jim was sort of a favorite around the hospital always willing to do the tasks that no one else wanted to do, and he did them with a smile on his face. Mm. You know, like sponge baths or moving corpses for the coroner or mm. cleaning up blood or hosting funerals for small lab rats. <laughs> Just whatever. Totally. It was on one of these romantic corpse-moving nights that brought Jim and Marceline together. They had been assigned to move and prepare a body for the undertaker in the morning, and as fate would have it, she was smitten by his positive attitude, his kindness, and his love of pushing puppies on trapdoors. Stop talking about it. I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to. <laughs> there was no fault that Marceline could find with Jim. Marceline was a godly woman, always attending church service on Sunday. So, of course, Jim told her that he, too, was very religious. Because you gotta lie. He's a liar. Jim told her that he believed in socialism and he thought that the world should be a more equal place. And Marceline absolutely agreed with him, because why wouldn't you? Right. Even going as far as telling her Republican family that she was going to vote straight Democrat one year to shock them... <gasps> 
She oh, was yeah. totally like all about Jim. Like Jim was this new guy. He was so cool. He was into equal rights. Mm. He was like the cool like youth pastor where he played guitar and stuff. You know what I mean? But like he still loved God. And she's like, you Father know Father Kyle style. Oh, yeah. Father Kyle all day. And just, <laughs> forever Father Kyle. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? Staunch Republican family. I'm voting Democrat this year. Because mm. there are no socialists on the ballot because we live in Klan country. Mm. Also, that confidence, I mean. Oh, it's key, man. She is swooning hard for Conf- Jimmy Jones. Confidence is key. Confidence and corpse moving are key. <laughs> also, this was Marceline's first boyfriend. Oh. So that has a lot to do yeah. with how much she liked him. Mm. She was very smitten. And she was being manipulated as well. Yep. If- like, just to put it frankly. The two married very soon in a double wedding with Marceline's sister Ugh. in 1949. It was a thing you did. A double wedding? It was like they just came out of the Depression. They were close sisters. Do you wait for your sister to get also get engaged in order to have one? I don't know. Or you, do you find someone for her to marry just so you can have one? That's a really good question. Yeah. We should have just had a double wedding. We should have. With ourselves. Yeah. We should have just married each other. (laughs) Okay, this is going off the rails. Let's get back to that. Almost immediately, Marceline's family told her that she hated Jim Jones. Why? Because Jim Jones would pick fights with her father for no fucking reason (laughs) and get into screaming matches with her mother over basically nothing. Wow. He would refuse to speak to her family members unless he chose to speak to them first. Often he would just ignore them because he found them boring. Wow. He was a fucking asshole to these people for no reason. Well, I, if they have different political views, I mean. I guess so. I can see that. When Marceline found out that Jim was lying about believing in God, she confronted him and he told her that he couldn't believe in a God that would allow suffering on earth. But she realized in this moment that she was in very deep with the kind of boy that she did not want to be in deep with. She wanted to get a divorce just a few months into their marriage, Mm. but her mother talked her out of it. It was the 1950s almost, and she came from a very religious family, and you just, you didn't get divorced. But the mom hated him. But she was married and she took a vow. That's so ridiculous. In front of Jesus or whatever. So Marceline stuck it out which we will see, to the very bitter end. And at this point, Jim had decided to go back to school to take some classes to become a hospital administrator because he was always looking to get to the top of whatever social standing he could manage. He always wanted to be the leader. He was all about control. Mm -hmm. And he started going to college at Indiana University in Bloomington. And it was here that he had heard Eleanor Roosevelt give her impassioned speech about the plight of African-Americans that would inspire him for the rest of his days and shape the way that he led. So that's a little bit, a lot of bit, I guess, about Jim Jones and his background. I felt like it was very important that you know where he comes from. Right, because then you get an understanding of why he did what he did. Right. So should we talk about some more Jesus stuff? Yeah, let's get into uh, the formation of the People's Temple, shall we? Let's do it. All right, so Jim Jones was super into communism and socialism, but despite all this and despite him being extremely vocal about it, he was actually welcomed into a Methodist church. 
1952, he became a student pastor in Somerset Southside Methodist Church in Indianapolis. I was looking up the differences between religions because mm-hmm. I truly have virtually no I, idea. Yeah, I have no idea either. And it seems like Methodists are pretty progressive. Oh, okay. That's what I got from a very quick Google. Well, maybe they are today, but back in the day, they were not so progressive. <laughs> Despite being a huge fan of Hitler as a child, Jim was actually a very tolerant man, and he ended up leaving this Methodist church because the church did not allow African Americans into the congregation. Oh. And that was just something that he could not get on board with, so he actually left the church. Honestly, that's amazing. Yeah. See? Not all bad, but he's not good. He also... Um, I forgot to put this in my notes, but he told Marceline a story when they were dating, which I don't know if it's true or not, uh-huh. that he walked out of a barber shop with only half a haircut because they wouldn't allow black people to get their haircut there. Oh, I believe it. He did stuff like that all the time. Yeah. He was very all about equality. Mm-hmm. So Jim left Somerset Southside Methodist Church and he decided that he was going to start his own. Got to. He rented out a space in Indianapolis where he could hold sermons and called his first church the Community Unity Church. <laughs> if it doesn't rhyme, who's got the time? No one's got the time. Community Unity. I love Community Unity more than anything ever. And we were on the phone yesterday, yeah. and we saw we said community unity like seventy five times. You were like, I think it's unity community. I don't know. It's some stupid shit that rhymes, <laughs> and it totally was. So community unity, I love it so fucking much. I would join a church called community, community unity, unity, and I don't even believe in a sky daddy. So Jim Jones preached about a just society that he believed could overcome certain evils he saw people exhibit in everyday life, one of those evils being racism. These ideas and his acceptance of all people attracted a lot of African-American people to his first church because Jim Jones was a firm believer in an integrated congregation. Many people flocked to him for help and also because they just wanted to serve humanity in their community. That's honestly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Not only did they help out in their community, members would often stage desegregation efforts around town, and the church started a service where they would help African Americans find jobs and break into entry-level positions. This was actually viewed as pretty radical for the time because it was the 50s, and racial segregation was still a very big thing. Jim Jones learned pretty quickly that in order to build up his church, he needed money. So he had actually witnessed a faith healing service once at the Seventh-day Baptist Church, and he came up with an idea. He knew that people would pay for these healings, so he started to provide them on his own to try to generate income for his church. Why didn't he just start a Patreon? Uh, It was before Patreon. (laughs) Jones would lure people in with the promise of healing a broken leg, or healing them to help them accomplish their goals. These healings would oftentimes involve things like chicken livers and other parts of animals. Yeah, got to. Jones and the other members of the church, who also knew that he was faking it and Uh just kind of went along with it, they would remove this piece of 
chicken liver or other part of an animal from a person and claim that the piece was cancerous and that it had been removed from the person's body. Yeah, this is this is a pretty big thing in these faith healing churches. I don't understand how somebody doesn't know that that's not a part of them. <laughs> yeah, it's also there was like this huge thing just going on a tangent here. Um you know how there's all, like, those cancer clinics and stuff in Mexico? Yeah. That are, like, virtually free? Yeah, you go to, like, Tijuana to fix your cancer. Yeah. yeah. So there was this huge sting operation mm-hmm. that figured out that they would do these, quote, unquote, like, um, surgeries on people. Mm-hmm. And they were actually stealing organs from the people to sell. Ooh. And then they would show them. So there'd be an incision and you'd be in yeah. pain. Like, you just had surgery. And then they would show them animal pieces and be like, look at this tumor. That was all cancer. Took it out. And you're good. And they would take, like, their kidney. Head back to Cleveland. And then you'd go back to Cleveland and you'd have no kidney. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So the whole animal pieces Mm -hmm. and faking surgery, it just seems like a super great idea to a lot of people. And I don't fully get that well i didn't read anywhere that he was actually surgically cutting people oh no just faking. which is why i was confused mm-hmm. as to why these people would he would pull like a chicken liver out and be like look what i just took out of you yeah. which how are these people believing that they're where did it come from what did he like i don't know i don't i don't get it but that's what i read and well the power of god compelled him exactly <laughs> It actually reminds me of, um, have you seen those commercials for the Miracle Water? No. On TV? It's just me? I've never seen that. Okay. Well, I've been working from home for almost a year now, and I watch a lot of daytime television because, you know, I just like to have it on. It's like background noise. And there is a commercial from this pastor. I don't even know what church he's from, but. Really? Yeah. He, it's an ad for supposed Miracle Water that if you (gasps) drink is supposed to heal you. It's absolutely ridiculous, but you can buy it. There's a you can call. There's a website. I, I want swear. it. I don't know how much it is. I want this miracle water. But I think we should next time I see it. I'm I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe they kicked him off. But next time I see it, I'm buying it for you. I'm gonna look <laughs> I'm gonna it up. Take a shot. Of Do you me. think they would sponsor an episode? Probably. Oh no, no, we're too occult for them. That's true. That's true. That's too true, occult. True. <laughs> Anyways. Jim Jones would perform these healings all of the time, and not only did it provide income for the church, but it also garnered some interest and attracted people to come to his church. Another weird thing Jim did to raise money for his church was selling monkeys door to door. (laughs) He somehow imported spider monkeys from South America to Indiana and sold them door-to-door for $29 each. $29? As pets, yeah. That is $313. Now? Yeah. Wow. I feel like that's the going rate for a monkey. I actually, in my neighborhood when I grew up, there was a house that had monkeys. Uh Uh-huh, I remember the monkey house. And everyone called it the monkey house, and they're famous in our town for having monkeys. They were, like, a couple houses down from me. Mm Mm-hmm. The monkey house. This might be a hot take, but I do not think you should be allowed to own monkeys. You should not be able to. <laughs> no, especially not sell them door to door. Exactly. I'm just picturing him with a trench coat, like in a back alley. With a monkey hang- monkeys hanging Monkeys over like it. hanging by their like little prehensile tails oh. and him being like, psst, hey, get over here. Want to buy a monkey? And he opens his coat and it's just solid screeching and then he shuts it and it's silent. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm not sure who his monkey guy was in South America, but 
if Tiger King can do it, I guess so can Jim Jones. So who knows? Jim Jones was the OG Joe Exotic. Seriously, he was. During his door-to-door monkey sales, he would invite these people (laughs) to also join his new church. So he'd be like, hey, do you want to buy this monkey? And also, do you want to join my church? Because nothing says Jesus like a bunch of spider monkeys. Yeah, dude. But that also gives me an idea, though. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we should sell things door-to-door to to promote our podcast. (gasps) Not animals, but maybe like cookies or something. Oh. Like take a page out of the Girl Scouts handbook. Monkey-shaped cookies. Monkey-shaped cookies. Uh But then we might get into a war with the local Girl Scout troop, and then they all band together to take Uh us down, and then we have like a gang of... Like, 12 eight-year-old girls just following us around on their bikes, like, Uh slashing our tires and making our lives a living hell until we promise to stop selling cookies in their territory. So maybe we shouldn't do that. Nicole? Yeah. I will fight 12 eight-year-olds. I would, too. (laughs) Although, I think when I was an eight-year-old girl, I was probably pretty fucking scrappy. Yeah. Should have seen me drink a juice box, dude. (laughs) Three seconds flat. I could do anything. Three seconds left. So I don't know if I'd take on a bunch of juice box drinking girls, but it's, that's true. It's worth a shot. They're pretty tough nowadays. <laughs> In 1956, Jones was able to save up enough money, monkey money, no. to buy a building where he would house his church. This building was located in a mixed-race neighborhood in Indianapolis, and he first changed the name. So first it was Community Unity. He first changed it to Wings of Deliverance. Oh, that doesn't even rhyme. No. But then later, he would rename it the People's Temple Full Gospel Church. No half gospels here, honey. All full gospel. His church was gaining a lot of popularity because people were super interested in his supposed healing powers. And he claimed that he also had clairvoyant revelations, which also attracted spiritualists. So... I would go. Yeah, same. Gotta check it out. Got to. (laughs) It was called People's Temple, but it's so funny because it's people's without the apostrophe. Yeah. Because it doesn't show ownership Mm -hmm. if there's no apostrophe. Mm -hmm. And he was such a socialist. Yep. That the word people could not even own the temple full gospel church. Yeah. He didn't. Zero ownership. Belonged to everyone. So this has no punctuation in it. Yep. My little grammar Nazis, (laughs) if you were wondering. Jones continued to preach about equality and racial integration, but as time went on, Jones started to believe in God less and less. He saw all the poverty and racial injustice surrounding him, and he just didn't have it in his heart to believe that a God could exist in a world that he was living in. Despite that thought, he still knew the major reason that these people even followed him in the first place was because of God. So he continued to preach under the guise of religion, but really his motives were more political. Mm, like Joel Osteen, the megachurch guy. Oh. He's like a trillionaire or something. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he I didn't know a, his name, but yeah. Yeah, the, with the stupid ass face. Yeah. You, you can picture his dumbass <laughs> yeah. fucking face. And like the million dollar churches where they have like all like the special effects and like fireworks yeah. at the end of it. And yeah. he comes out and it's like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And he yeah, and he comes out on like a segue for some reason. <laughs> yes. And then and then he preaches. Yeah. And then people give half their salary to him. Yep. But he couldn't open his church for Katrina victims when they were drowning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much exactly yep. like that. It, almost exactly yeah. actually. 
To try to gain even more popularity within his community, Jones put together large religious conventions with other pastors. Would you say to foster unity in his community? Yes, I would. Okay, (laughs) These conventions drew in a lot of people, as many as 11,000 attendees, actually. Yeah. At these conventions, Jones would perform his healings, and he would convince these people he was legit by revealing certain personal information about them in front of a crowd. Oh. Things Jim was not told, but were true. Yeah. But also things that could easily be researched and prepared beforehand, like someone's address or their phone number or even social security numbers because back in the day no one really gave a shit about stolen identity so i guess that was just super chill yeah he would stand on the stage and be like i'm getting a number here (laughs) it's uh seven no nine nine digits and then he'd read off a social yeah and then an old lady would be like how did you know that that was my social security number sir (laughs) and he'd be like is this your card? And it was her social security card. Mm -hmm. And then she'd come up and it was like a whole thing. Yeah. Also, I did read that he liked to dress in a different, this is ridiculous, dress in a costume. Of course he did. With like a hood or a hat or something. (laughs) And he would mill around in the crowd. Mm, For info? Yeah. And try to hear like an old lady being like, Ah, here's my social security card. <laughs> I'm just going to set it on the ground here. And then he'd pick it up. They did that all the time. Back yeah, it day. was like a thing that yeah. you did. It was you know like that they used game. to have them on your health insurance cards? And I they had to that. get rid of them because old people were like losing them or just setting them down on yeah. uh, like when they went to the doctor and people were stealing them. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I recently learned that you... Now you're assigned a social at birth, Mm -hmm. and you weren't before. You had to go get one. Oh. So, like, my father and all of his siblings, they're in sequential order. Really? Because his mom went after she had her last child. Oh, my gosh. And was like, all right, let's do this now. That's hilarious. And she got all of them, so they all know each other's number. (laughs) And then they would go around to these revival churches and leave the cards (laughs) on the ground. And then this weird man named Jim Jones would come and pick them up. Um, super weird yeah but anyways back to the real story he would mill around in the crowds in his fancy pageantry costume and try to like get information from people yeah and then go back on the stage and be like i'm i'm feeling like someone's name is i want to say ethel and ethel would be like that's me i want to say her social is oh i don't know eight three two a nine six in here i'm getting on she'd be like what just and he'd be like i i heard your spider monkey recently died <laughs> drink too much flavor i want to say f- cool flavor aid was it flavor aid well how did you know jim and then he'd be like well I, if i got a deal for you one here's your social security card i manifested this out of nowhere and two open as a trench coat to screaming monkeys here's a new monkey free of charge Solved everyone's problems. It was sort of, you know. <laughs> Impressive, actually. You come for the healing, you stay for the spider monkeys. That's, that was the motto. On top of all of these <laughs> fun little conventions with 
social security cards and spider monkeys. Duh. Jones and his crew would drive through Indiana and Ohio, spreading the word of their new church in hopes that people would flock their way. They just yell it out the windows. Hey, you. <laughs> Come to our church. Looking for unity in your community? <laughs> Have I got a spider monkey for you? The church continued to preach equality and even asked that all members dress in casual, simple clothing when they would come into meetings so as to not make anyone feel like they were out of place or that anyone was better than anyone else. I love that very much. Yeah. I really do. In order to further his popularity with the African-American population, Jim appointed a man named Archie Yamas as his associate pastor. The Robin to his Batman, if you will. Archie had previously denounced any type of organized religion, but there was just something about Jim. His charisma. And he always smelled like spider monkeys for some reason. (laughs) And Archie was very into that. It was the spider monkeys, let's be honest. An earthy tone. (laughs) And he, he was crazy for it. He loved it. In 1960, the People's Temple affiliated with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. This relationship was beneficial to the church because it helped grow the church even more and gave them an even bigger reputation within the community. Four years after this initial affiliation, Jim Jones officially became an ordained minister. Wow. You know, you are in the presence of an ordained minister. Finally. I mean, he's been healing so many people and he's not even legit. Well, I'm legit, which means I should start a cult. <laughs> You're a minister. I am an. I did your. I performed your freaking oh, wedding, shit, dude. You are a minister. I'm an ordained minister. How do I get my hand on I some forgot. spider monkeys? That's all you need, and then you're good to go. You know what? Spider monkeys have been done. I'm thinking orangutans. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Anyways, <laughs> this new affiliation had the church booming with new members, and in February of 1960, the church was able to open a soup kitchen for the poor and now had the capabilities of providing social services to the community as well. So he's still, he's doing good. He's doing a lot of good things with his church. He doesn't believe in God, but he's lying to the people like he does. But he's still doing a lot of good in the community. Right, he's doing it to get like a a good cause. Yeah, for sure. The church was able to offer rent assistance to those in need. They helped people get jobs. They started a food pantry. They provided clothing for the homeless and had a service to provide coal for heat for people in the winter if they couldn't afford it. Yeah. With the help of Jones's wife, Marceline, they were able to provide an average of 2,800 meals to those in need per month. That's very cool. Yeah. Because of all of the work his church did for the community, Jim Jones was appointed the head position of the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission, which just propelled the People's Temple into the limelight even more. Jim Jones was a part of many public events, and he was sort of like a star on local media because he was featured a lot. Well, yeah, if you roll up with 25 spider monkeys crawling (laughs) all over your body and you're yelling about unity in your community. And he's feeding all the homeless. People are gonna notice. They're gonna take notice. Wait, what were they eating? Spider monkey stew. (laughs) I'm gonna throw up. I'm just kidding, they weren't. Well, they were probably breeding like crazy. He didn't know what to do with them. He's like, Marceline, what do we do with all these spider monkeys? And then she thought, 
That was a very Jerry Seinfeld voice. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And then she's like, I make a mean monkey stew, Jim. Stew. Turn around. I'll take care of this. <laughs> but he wanted to push him down the trap door. Oh. I'm sorry. Stop bringing it up. I'm not gonna. During this time, everything seemed to be coming up Jones. Oh. But family life was not doing too great. At the revelation that he no longer believed in God, his wife Marceline was not happy about it, and she just straight up refused to accept that he was a non-believer. That works. Jim Jones, being Jim Jones, didn't take too kindly to this reaction, and in his need to control everyone and everything, he told Marceline that he would kill himself if she continued to pray to the God he didn't believe in. Wow. So just another controlling thing that he does. That's a healthy relationship. Yeah. This obviously drove a wedge between the couple because that's insane. That's absolutely the most insane thing. Yes. Jim was also extremely jealous and he didn't like if Marceline got any attention from literally anyone. The only attention he thought that she should have should have been from him and him alone. So he is extremely abusive and controlling and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Great. On June 1st, 1959, Jim and Marceline had their first son, Stephen Gandhi Jones. Mm. Jim thought the birth of their son would heal any and all wounds in their marriage. Uh, As per usual, it did not. It doesn't. It doesn't ever work. So it, don't try that. It doesn't work. Mm-mm. And also, they named their child Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. They did. Middle name, but still, it's there. Well, his is Baby Bunny Hole. And then this one <laughs> is... Bunny Hole. <laughs> so... Bunny Nest, I think. Bunny, I think. Yeah, it was much cuter than Baby Bunny Hole. <laughs> yeah, that sounds dark. Kind of weird. Yeah. And then this one is Gandhi. Gandhi, Yeah. So on the outside, the Joneses looked like they were the perfect family, but trouble was a brewing on the inside. Between the years of 1960 and 1971, Jim Jones visited the Peace Mission in Philadelphia, and he found his mentor, Father Divine, who was also the founder of the Peace Mission. Such a good name. Jones studied Father Divine's writing just like he did with Hitler. He would watch tape recordings of his sermons and try to emulate him in his own. The People's Temple even started to print Father Divine's teachings and started to preach that members should abstain from sex and only adopt children. He preached that sex distracted people from their goals. Okay. Um, a couple of things here. <laughs> One. Okay, a couple of things. One, adopting children is awesome. Right. I agree. But I think this whole abstaining from sex and only adopting children, uh, maybe a little off the deep end. Yes. And also, fun fact about Father Divine, Mm -hmm. I read that his name was Major Jealous Divine. I did not find that at all. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. I couldn't find 100% why, but it was something about how he felt that he was major, not minor. Oh, he named himself that? That wasn't his real name. Oh, yeah, babe. That was not. No one names a child. I guess they. Yes, they do. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Well, he named himself Major, because he was Major, not Minor. Okay. Jealous. Something about how God was jealous, and he's a god. Okay. And then Divine, because obviously 
is divine. Right. So Jim Bunny Nest Jones became best friends with a man named Major Jealous Divine. And I just want to say it over and over for the people in the back. (laughs) Major Jealous Divine was a man that he trusted. Yeah. A man that he looked up to. I don't know if I would. I definitely would not, so. But he also loved Hitler, so. Mm, that's true. He didn't yeah. have the best, like, no. you know. Role models. Role models. <laughs> Jim even started referring to himself as father and as Marceline as mother, because this was another thing that he stole from Father Divine from the Peace Mission. Yeah. Mike Pence calls his wife mother. No. Yeah, dude. No. Yeah. That's okay. Must be an Indiana thing. (laughs) Maybe. All right, moving on. Jim Jones took a lot from Father Divine. Even his speaking style, he used lulls and crescendos to try to excite his audience and really drive home his sermons. He adopted his us versus them mentality from him as well. In 1965, Father Divine passed away, and in June of 1971, Jones made his last trip to the peace mission. Um, one one more thing I want to just bring up about Father Divine, because mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with this guy. <laughs> so I was just reading like about his background. Yeah. He had a wife um, that he called Mother Divine. Mm-hmm. And she got cancer, and he promised his like community that he could fix his cancer. Mm-hmm. She died of cancer. Um, but then he started sleeping with his secretary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who he again started calling Mother Divine. Oh, and everyone, she became the new Mother Divine. Yeah, and everyone in the congregation was like, "Wait, the other Mother Divine was like seventy or whatever. Mm-hmm. This one's twenty-five. What? What's going on here?" And he was all, "No, no, no. You see, her soul that I yeah. saved." Yeah is now in this hot, buxom young woman's body. Right. So this is Mother. I saved Mother's life. That's actually a very popular uh, thing because we'll see that Jim Jones tries to pull the same shit later on. So in 1971, when Jim Jones made his last trip to the peace mission, he visited and tried to take over the peace mission. And he tried to assume the position of Father Divine because he claimed that he was Father Divine, just in another body. Oh, it's the secretary thing all over exactly. again. But Mother Divine, who was actually the secretary, but also the old Mother Divine. Like hot secretarial hot, Mother Divine. Yeah, the yeah. hot Mother Divine because she was, her soul was, is now in a super hot body. Whatever. This new Mother Divine was not having Jim Jones at all. and was like, get the fuck out. She kicks his ass out in the middle of the night, and Jim was never allowed back to the peace mission ever again. He's like, wait, maybe it's me. Major Jealous. You don't remember me? She's like, what's my favorite color? And he's like, pink? And she's like, no, it's green. Leave. That was the old mother. I'm the hot mom. (laughs) She's not a regular mother divine. She's a cool mother divine. Oh, totally? Jones also used sneaky tactics in his sermons, and he said that the temple's home for senior citizens was established on the basis, quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, which is a quote from Karl Marx's critique of the Gotha program. 
He did this because he felt that his God-fearing followers would sense the similarities between that line and text from the Acts of the Apostles from the New Testament. And that line stated, and quote, distribution was made to each as any had need. Okay, so socialism, like, just on extra here. Right. He cited this often because he wanted to try to suggest to his followers that Jesus was, in fact, a communist. But he also used it as a way to attack the text of the Bible. So. Hey, man. Two yeah. birds, one spider monkey. <laughs> Around this time, the temple started to become a little more demanding of its followers. It demanded members to spend holidays such as Thanksgiving and Christmas with temple family instead of their blood relatives, Mm. which is the first sign of a cult. Mm -hmm. If you're in any type of organization that suggests or demands you spend time with that family over your own, you're in a cult. This was put in place to try to wean members away from outsiders and direct all of their attention to the temple. The temple wanted their full attention and total commitment in order to achieve their goals. Right. Again, which is a classic abuser tactic. Classic cult move there. It's this manipulation of separating you from your family so they can't tell you, Susan, you're in a fucking cult. You're in a cult, (laughs) yeah. Exactly. Jones offered up a deal to the members as well, and he called it religious communalism. And it meant that the members would donate all of their material possessions to the temple. And in exchange, the temple would provide everything that these people needed. It makes perfect sense. Once again, if you're a part of a group who asks you to donate all of your material personal belongings... You're in a cult. You're in a cult, honey. You're in a cult. You're in a cult. And of course, the first person to volunteer for this religious communalism was Jones's associate pastor, Archie Yamas. While the temple had garnered some popularity, it was extremely difficult to try to convert Midwesterners to communist ideas even though they were camouflaged as religious ideas. Because us Midwesterners don't fall for that crap. Ope. Ope. (laughs) Now you're telling me that I gotta give up my spider monkey for the good of everyone else? I don't understand that. It's just not making sense to me. Susan over there, I see she's got three spider monkeys. And Jim Jones is like, no, those spider monkeys are for everyone. (laughs) And Carl's all... Well, okay, Jim, I guess I'll give you my spider monkey then. And also, here's my bank account information. And, oh, you have my social security number already. Oh. (laughs) Jones then had to turn towards a different group of people to try to convince to try to join his church. Cough, cult, cough. Sorry. Oh, oh my gosh, you have something in your throat. something in my throat. It's It's crazy. Yeah. Whatever. Jones admired the 1959 Cuban Revolution and thought his ideas might gain some popularity over there. So he traveled to Cuba in 1960, and he tried to persuade poor Cubans to leave Cuba behind and travel to the marvelous state of Indiana to join his congregation. Um, no. Yes. Have you seen pictures of Cuba? Have you seen Indiana? Well, I don't think these people had. Even so, he was unsuccessful because no one voluntarily moves to Indiana. No. No one does. 
No. If you have a choice. You don't. You don't. No. You don't. During this time, the vision of the temple started to transition a bit. Instead of the Bible preaching church it once was, the People's Temple was now leaning more towards the idea that Jim Jones was Christ and not even following the teachings of Jesus in the Bible at all. Well, Jim Jones is Jesus. (laughs) So by following Jim, you're following Jesus. Well, he's also Father Divine, so who can keep track? He has so many things. So many things. Many hats on this one. And this actually pissed a lot of people off because, obviously, naturally. Right. But Jones used the excuse that it was necessary in order to foster dedication in members to help achieve the temple's goals. Got to. In 1961, though some sources state it was 1965, so not really sure, Jones claimed that he had a vision that a nuclear bomb would explode over the Midwest, destroying Indiana, and he convinced several members of the temple that they needed to evacuate the Midwest. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. What is it actually pronounced as, though? I don't. I think you can say nuclear. Nuclear, nuclear. Nuclear. I think you can say whatever you want. All right. But Homer Simpson pronounces it. Nuclear. Nuclear. In 1962, an Esquire magazine stated that Belo Horizonte, Brazil, would be the best place to survive a nuclear holocaust. Which is Portuguese for the horizontal belly. (laughs) So Jones traveled to Brazil from 1962 to 1963 to try to stake out a place for the People's Temple. While traveling, Jones requested money from the People's Temple to help fund his search, but he was denied when he was in Rio de Janeiro because the church was severely lacking funds at this point. Jones ultimately decided on moving his congregation to Ukiah, California, which was actually another place that was listed on this Esquire magazine list of best places to survive a nuclear holocaust. And in 1964... Jones and about 140 of his most loyal followers made the move to California. And that is where we will pick up next week. They were all going to California, and Jim Jones was like, that showbiz, baby. (laughs) I want to see this Esquire magazine list. I know. I'm going to try to find it. How do you even know what is the best nuclear No one knows. If I was going to trust one publication that also just talked a lot about men's fashion, it would definitely be Esquire magazine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cosmo doesn't know fucking Mm -hmm. anything. Like, let's be honest, right? (laughs) Right. But I did see once that um, GQ magazine found the lost city of Atlantis. So, you know, all these magazines are just very, very good at this whole. All all about the fashion magazines. Yeah. It's what it's where it's at. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be honest right now. Well, that was exhilarating and fucked up <laughs> and full of spider monkeys. Full of spider. Chock full of spider monkeys. I feel like I have fleas, though, honestly. Mm, I'm a little itchy. Okay, since we are doing a multi-part mm-hmm. on this one, I'm going to vote we don't do a listener mail. Yeah, let's do, we'll do it at the end, the very last episode of this series. Yeah, I don't want to break it up too much. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 
But if you are interested in doing your own research or anything like that, you can always check out the sources that we used for this episode yes. in the links in the show notes. And I would also highly recommend reading the book, The Road to Jonestown. And there's actually a really good documentary on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Called, I think it's called Jonestown Paradise Lost. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good one. But they kind of start once they get to Jonestown. They yeah. They don't do much background. So, yeah. So if, if you have a listener lore that you want to send us, send it our way. Maybe we'll read it at the end of the series. Yeah. Make it a good one. Make it a good one. Like, also, oh, sorry. Like, are you able to piss over the roof of your house? Let us know. If you can piss over the roof of a house, definitely, 100% send us a story about it because shit we want to know i'll send you some stickers let's be honest <laughs> yes can use them as target practice Ooh, nice put one on your chimney <laughs> i don't fucking know man and if you like what you hear please rate review subscribe to the podcast because it does really help us out it does and it's so fun to read all of our little reviews and stuff it's true we get really cute international ones too which yes. i'm such a big fan of i know also if you want to chit or chat with us you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we're off Parlor because they shut down. Um, <laughs> we're back on Wall Street Bets Reddit. So mm. hit us up there. We're under Quite Unusual Pod. Slippery slide into our DMs. Or you can email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Yes. And this is a great time to plug our P.O. Box because <gasps> we got phenomenal gifts from a lot of people today. One especially that we have to shout out. It's beautiful. It is a golden penis. It's the most beautiful golden penis. And we've named it Little Thumper. Yeah. So shout out to Sabrina and Sal for supplying the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. It's sitting on our podcasting table and it's forever going to sit here. And we've decided if we ever do, if we ever get to the point where we do live shows... We're bringing it on stage with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, little thump? You are officially, I'm talking to a bronze penis right she now. She is. You are officially promoted to podcast manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anyone else has any penises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. You know what? Fuck it. We're going to just, this is a dick filled episode. Mm. If you have, <laughs> it actually kind of is. It very much is. If you, for some reason, have a statue of a penis and you feel like you want to send it to us, you can do that because we have a P.O. box. Yes, but it must be beautiful. It must be artistic. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's so good. We're going to get flooded with dicks now. We're (laughs) We're going to love it. You think that the post office is mean to us now? (laughs) When we start getting dildo upon dildo sent to our P.O. box, they are going to flip the fuck out on us. All right. Well, if you want to send us a dildo, you can send it to P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. Please do. So flood our box with With dicks upon dicks. Of all shapes and sizes, this is an equal dick opportunity <laughs> podcast. Also, I want to give a hearty shout out to Lauren. She sent us a prayer candle of Edward Cullen. 
Yeah, we screamed when we opened it. We screamed so loud. We got some cute gnomes too for Melanie. Adorable. We got some delicious treats from Monica. So good. You guys are so sweet to us. We love you all so very, very much. Yes. So if you want to send us any little fun treatsies or like weird dicks or whatever, (laughs) pop them in the mail and we will talk about them for way too long at the end of like every podcast. Yes, we will. I'm going to put up a shelf and just put our impending dick collection on yes. it yeah i can't fucking wait for those <laughs> and we actually have a couple new patrons that we have to thank so welcome all new coven acolytes so first we have candace d welcome and then we have andito taco eater yes aka andy d welcome welcome and may the magic be ever in your favor If you want to join our Patreon, there's a link in all of our bios where Mm -hmm. you can just clickety-clack on that one, or you can go to patreon.com slash quite unusual pod, maybe? Or just search quite unusual pod. We'll show up. Yeah. We're there. We're there. You'll see our faces, and you can hang out with us. We do do tons of fun extra bonus content. We're doing a movie club at the end of Mm -hmm. the month. It's going to be very fun. So sign up there, and we will see you in the DMs, babies. And remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. And this is the part of our show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings and spider monkey enthusiasts. To Tim M., who once survived a skinwalker encounter by singing such a beautiful rendition of a Celine Dion song that the skinwalker broke down in tears and they were able to escape. Truly, the wind beneath their wings. Mm. To Spencer W., a very powerful witch, who has to use a levitate spell to move their enormous crystal collection outside to charge under the full moon. Mm, same. To Mike B., who once found the portal to another dimension in the back of a Chili's, but they were actually just looking for the restroom, so they closed the door and moved right along. Who hasn't been there? Who hasn't? To Lauren R., supplier of candles. Yes. Who had a coffee date with Mothman, but honestly just isn't really that into bodybuilders, so she broke it off. How do you leave those buns alone, Lauren? I was gonna say, how to get rid of that ass? hate to see him leave, but I love to watch him walk away, am I right? (laughs) Flutter away, moth, flutter away. To Kaleo, who is actually D.B. Cooper, but never told anyone because they don't like too much attention. Introverts. Mm. To Samantha P., a vampire hunter who figured out that vampires can be killed if they eat a single Cool Ranch Dorito. Much more cost-effective than wooden steaks and also a great after-hunting snack. Thank you to all of our Coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. Nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. worthy.